Have you ever felt like you were just bombing an interview? Like maybe your interviewer was just going through the motions? That happened to Mary Brelove in 1969, when she was interviewing for a job as a reporter for the Wall Street Journal. At the time, there were only two other female reporters on staff. So she took a chance and did something bold. I could tell in the interview that he was just not interested. I mean, he was you know, already going on to the next person. And I said, yes, I had read my, my major paper was on women's liberation. And I said to him, I scared you, didn't I? And that really caught his attention. I had nothing to lose. So why not say what I thought and, and try to make an impression? And in fact, it really got his attention. So then they offered me the job. Hi, and welcome to Small Answers. This is Steph, and today Lita and I are talking to Mary Brelove, who became the third female reporter at the Wall Street Journal. She'll tell us what it was like to be one of the first women in the newsroom, reporting on prize-winning stories, scaring her colleagues. Oh, and did I mention that she's my mom? Growing up, I wasn't very aware of what my mom did for work until after she had already left the Wall Street Journal and shifted careers. When I was in junior high, she transitioned from writing and journalism to become a physical trainer and postural therapist. She doesn't talk much about her glory days at the Journal. It's only recently that I've gotten her to share some more of these stories. I love hearing them. Not only am I so proud to have this tough, barrier-breaking woman as my mom, but her stories really give me an appreciation for how things have changed in the last few decades since the beginning of Women's Lib. I think once I pointed out women's liberation that um, it was very threatening and scary. But they also wanted to be hip and happening. I mean, every paper does. They want to be part of what's going on today, right? They don't want to be a bunch of white men uh, doing statistical work. So I, I sort of realized that, that they might pay attention. I don't think they were looking to hire a woman because they wasn't, women's liberation wasn't that was an idea. It wasn't the big movement that it turned out to be even a year later when they marched down Fifth Avenue. As a litmus test about emerging feminism, here's a riddle my mom used to tell. It goes like this. A man is driving with his son when they get into an accident and the man dies. The son is rushed to the hospital when he arrives for emergency surgery. The doctor looks at the boy and says, I can't operate on him. He's my son. How is this possible? Of course, the riddle is that the surgeon was a woman. But it stumped everybody at the Wall Street Journal. And I knew it would because it, you know, people weren't thinking along those lines. Mm -hmm. And the managing editor came by my desk, waltzed by my desk, and said, oh, that's easy. The answer is that the surgeon was his mother. I was just amazed. I said, absolutely, that's right, Fred. Good for you. And he walked away, swaggered away. And then now two seconds later, the page one editor came zipping by my desk and said, did Fred come by yet? And I said, yeah. He said, I had to tell him the answer. <laughs> we all felt very responsible not only to be representing women. They'd always turn to the one woman in the room and say, what do women think about this? And of course, I didn't say, what do you mean? I'm just one woman. I'd tell them what women thought, you know. But I also think we all felt a real responsibility to make sure that we weren't the only ones through the door. There were a lot after us. So we turned around and really helped people. We really felt a responsibility to reach down and haul everybody else up. And went out and stuck on our necks to do it. In addition to it just being amazing that my mom was one of the first women in the newsroom, she likens it to the Mary Tyler Moore show. She also wrote some terrific and important stories while she was there. I asked her about some of the ones she was most proud of. 
Well, I'm really proud of the uh, trailing spouse story because nobody had written about it and it was really well written. Uh, it was a story about what women have to go to follow their husband's career and the sacrifices the family has to make for that. Not a story that had ever been written before. The other story I'm proud of is sexual harassment. It wasn't even a term until we had I had written that story about it. And then what happened, it was a story about sexual harassment. I came into the office that day that the story had come out that morning, and usually there were notes stuck under your typewriter, and you're always worried that somebody in the story had called to say you got it wrong, you screwed up in some way, and so there was some trepidation always with me looking at these messages. So I had a lot of messages from you know, Mr. So-and-so secretary called. So I called them back and it was the secretary calling. It wasn't Mr. So-and-so. It was the secretary who had comes in in the morning, had read the Wall Street Journal before her boss and had called to tell me what a good story it was. Ah, I was so proud. It was really fabulous. Even telling this story, I get teared up. Yeah. That. Another story that my mom is really proud of involves her coverage of a suicide. Eli Black, the CEO of United Brands at the time, had taken his life suddenly. Reporting on it, my mom was both in a race against the clock and against the New York Times to get her story to print first. My mom's article ran in the Wall Street Journal the same day as the New York Times version, and hers was the clear winner. She said that even some folks at the Times told her that. The success of this article helped land her a promotion, and she became the assistant New York bureau chief. So when I got promoted to assistant bureau chief from that, from breaking that story, they wanted women in management. But I deserved it. And I got notes. I got, I remember getting an anonymous note saying, this is overdue and you really deserved it. And I'm not sure why I'm keeping this anonymous, but I am. I don't think I felt that anybody felt I didn't deserve it, that I was being promoted because I was a woman. And this It was pretty clear. So I was in my 30s now when I was um, New York bureau chief, and I was worried that they weren't going to take the um, directions from a woman. And um, I was very aware of that, and I was very maybe more protective of my authority than I would have been. And I did have a case where a guy went around me. As New York, assistant New York bureau chief, the New York reporters reported to me, if an assignment was to be given, it was either to be given by me as a New York bureau chief to my New York reporters or by the bureau chief. There was an assistant to the managing editor um, who asked a reporter to do something for him. He shouldn't have done that. He should have come from to me and I would have done it. He did. I later, that same day, went up to him and said, you should have come through me. My nose is out of joint, and I want you to know that. I don't expect this to happen again. did it very nicely, but I didn't let it go, uh, because I was really aware that this could be a problem. And years later, he told me I scared the bejesus out of him. He never did it again. He really, he told me later, he really scared him. And what I realized is I had a lot of power and I didn't really know it. I just never really knew it. Because I was always really worried about 
Just maintaining the boundaries. Mm-hmm. So you weren't so worried about being liked that you would avoid a confrontation like no. that? I I actually had to make sure that that um, I was so worried that um, people in authority would would take advantage of the fact that oh she's a woman I'm not taking orders from her that I was very protective that I would go toe to toe toe to toe you know it's it's not like we're going to go to fisticuffs very protective. As a kid, I took for granted all of the arrangements and logistics that went into caring for my sister and me. I knew both of my parents worked and we had a babysitter that picked us up from school and fed us dinner before someone, usually my mom, came home. It was deceptively simple from a child's point of view. So we asked my mom about how she balanced her job and family and if she had talked about it with my dad before they had had kids. But we talked about it a lot. We talked about child care and, I mean, we talked about it constantly because it was in the air. Everybody was trying to figure it out. Your father was very supportive um, and is a very supportive of women and working women and very supportive of my career and whatever I wanted to do. We had a babysitter who would come at 8.30 in the morning and leave at, at 6. But it meant that I had to, to leave, I had to leave right on time. I couldn't, you know, sort of screw around. And one day, I remember the managing editor said, at, right at 5.30, when I was about to pack up and leave, Wanted can't said, Mary, come into my office, home. I want to have a meeting. I could have had two, I had one, a decision to make really quickly. Yes, I'll be right there. Or, you know, Fred, I have to get home to relieve the babysitter. Do you, mind, you know, can we do this tomorrow? I would be damned if I was going to say this, the latter. So I said, Fred, I'll be there in just a minute. Called your father on the phone said, you've got to get home. I've just been called in the meeting. And he said, sure, and that got home to relieve the babysitter. I've thought about that a lot because if I had to replay that, I would not do that. I, it was a real disservice I did women. There's no reason on earth I couldn't have said or should not have said, Fred, I would love to meet with you. I have a babysitter I have to relieve. Um, can, we make, can we make this another time? But what I did was reinforce what women may still be doing, but they turn their lives inside out to fit a corporate culture of a man being the sole beggar. So I think about that incident a lot because I'm not proud of what I did. I didn't want to give them any excuse not to hire women, and I felt, gee, if I said to the managing editor, I can't come into the meeting because I have to really my babysitter, he would say, that's what you get for hiring a woman. At work, there was a lot of interest in my domestic relations. Who is going to take care of my kids? Are you coming back to work? Yes. How soon are you coming back to work? Who's going to take care of your children? A lot of interest. My mom worked at the Wall Street Journal for over 10 years and left in 1983 when I was a year old. We asked her a bit about why she left. I never left because I felt like I had to be home with the kids. I left because I'd had enough. I didn't want to, I didn't want to work home. I wanted to do something else. Either I was, I was at a point where I was going to work there for the rest of my life because it was a really good place to work and I loved working there. But I didn't like necessarily the person I was becoming. In other words, I found that I was kind of going to cocktail parties and interviewing people and not really having conversations with people. And I also felt that I was becoming really cynical. You know, remember to be a reporter in those days, I'm assuming the same now, is that you had to maintain objectivity. You couldn't become close to anybody, you know, because you might have to. 
And I was tired of living my life like that. I'm, that's not how I was, and that's how I, I felt like I had to. And a lot of women said that at the time, you know. I have to put on my armor. You know, in that case, it was my suit and my little bow ties, whatever the uniform of, of working was. But there was a real feeling, I don't know if women still feel this, that you had to put on your, your shoulder pads, your game face, your business face. And um, it wasn't necessarily who you were internally. And once that became too much, that's the point where you had to say, do I really want to be like this? Do I want to live my life this, or is it time to move on? And so it really didn't have to do with uh, having children or being married. Uh, that was a different thing. Because right after that, I uh, did other stuff, but I was always working. If you were starting over, you know, if you were 20 or whatever, what do you think you would do now? I think what you've taught me is that um, the career is only one aspect of life. That I would be much more broad in my uh, de development of my life. When I was your age, the career was everything. It was it. I mean, I really wanted to make my own living, and I wanted to get ahead. And getting ahead meant climbing some sort of corporate ladder. And if I were 20, I wouldn't think that way. I would think about other where I wanted to live, the kind of what would make me happy, and spend a lot of my 20s um, thinking exactly that. What, what kind of life do I want to live? What makes me happy? What kind of person do I want to be? What kind of person do I want to be with? These are all very important questions. And that's where will my energy would go, not to particular field. It's a better way of living life.